This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c EWG is funded by very large donations from large organic farms like Earthbound and Stonyfield and Applegate. And very broadly from the scientific community at large, EWG routinely misinterprets toxicological risks. They overstate potential health harms, and they also cherry pick studies that have poor scientific methodology. Welcome to the Pete's Doc Talk podcast. This show's success is largely due to you and the way you share the podcast with others and leave reviews. So thank you so much for tuning in each week and for leaving those reviews whenever you can. I'm so grateful to have the most amazing guests and the most amazing returning guests on this show to guide you in all things parenting, topics about child health, development, and parental health. Today's guests are returning guests. They were on my show talking about how social media has harmed public health, and they're returning today. They are Dr. Andrea Love, who has a PhD in immunology and microbiology, and Dr. Jess Steyer, who has a doctorate in public health with specialization in health policy evaluation, and they are the co-hosts of the Unbiased Science Podcast, and you can also find them on Instagram at Unbiased Science, and they are my one of my favorite accounts sharing evidence-based information. And we're talking today all about five things you may not know about organic food that will surprise you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks so much for having us. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I like to always be real on my show. This episode has been rescheduled probably four times due to travel for them, illness for me, pregnancy stuff, childcare issues. So we are doing this thing and I'm so excited. And before we get into the episode, just let everyone know who may not be familiar with who you are, what Unbiased Science is all about. Just give yourself a little introduction. All right. So I'll go first, maybe. So I have, as uh, Mona mentioned, I have a PhD in microbiology and immunology. I specialize in pretty much all sorts of things related to the immune system, infectious diseases, um, cancer immunology, autoimmunity. And I currently work in the biotech industry. And I have a doctorate in public health. I'm really a data scientist and I have my own data science consultancy, Vital Statistics Consulting. And Andrea and I, we were friends in college and we launched Unbiased Science to basically help demystify science, especially during the pandemic. But now we're covering topics outside of COVID and COVID vaccines and really just trying to make sense of science. And we do a lot of debunking of misinformation and fear mongering. And I think that that's relevant to today's episode. <laughs> yeah. And I discovered you all in the pandemic. And as you said, you did so much pandemic education. You all are a superhero team because between immunology, microbiology, 
and public health, I mean, COVID was your expertise. I mean, when you combine forces together and all the things that we're talking about, the evidence-based, I'm sure you deal with a lot of lovely comments on your posts, a lot of lovely DMs because people don't want to hear the evidence, hear what we know. And I appreciate the work that you do because I know it's not easy. I obviously do parenting. I do a little bit of what you do in the child space. But when I do do the debunking, I understand and respect that a lot of people come at you saying, that's not true. That's not what it is. And you're like, I'm just telling you all what this is, what we know. You take it for what it is. And I really appreciate the work that you do because I know not only is it a lot of work to go through that data, but also the mental drain of having to go on social media and listen to the commentary and people who just may not understand the nuance that you're providing and all of the things that you do. So I respect you all so much. That's what I wanted to tell you before we get started. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Well, the same goes exactly. for you. you know? I was going to say, you know, I'm a mom, I have two young kids and I've referenced your posts I don't know, more times than I can count. So thank you for what you're doing as well. We ladies in science have to stick together. (laughs) Yes. And this topic, I think, is an important one. And I think it actually will surprise a lot of people because of the way organic food is marketed and also what people say on social media. I told my husband that he has to watch this because he is also an organic food only shopper. And I'm like, sweetie, it's okay. We can have non-organic food sometimes. It's fine. Like we're going to be okay. So um, he won't listen to it because uh, that's just who he is, but that's okay. But I want to talk about this because I think it's so important because organic food is all the rage in a lot of social media circles, but just in society. But there's a lot of marketing misinformation and misinformation and maybe nuance in general. So let's dive into the things that we should know about organic foods. And I believe that you have like five things. Obviously, there could be more that you want people to know about organic foods. Yeah. So number one, organic farming and organic products use pesticides. There is a huge misconception that organic foods are pesticide free. And unfortunately, a lot of this has been propagated by the organization, the Environmental Working Group or Mm -hmm. the EWG. And they're legally a nonprofit, but they're essentially an activist group. Mm -hmm. And their goal is really to promote organic farming. A lot of their donors and things like that are large scale organic farms. And the biggest misconception is that organic products and organic foods are pesticide free. So what's actually real is that they use a different class of pesticides. So Mm. they use what we call organic pesticides, which sometimes are also called natural pesticides. And all that means is that they have been derived from natural sources and have not been synthetically altered in a laboratory. Now, that doesn't mean that they're better or safer. And actually, in many cases, they can be more toxic at a lower dosage or a lower exposure. Many of them actually bioaccumulate, meaning they persist in the environment for longer periods of time. And when we alter a substance in the lab, it's usually to make it more stable, less toxic. So meaning you can use it with less harmful potential effects at higher doses or even at lower doses, or you can make it more specific. So one of the biggest issues with organic pesticides, aside from the fact that some of them like copper sulfate is a really widely used one, it bioaccumulates, it targets 
all sorts of other species besides the pests that you're trying to limit on your produce, on your Mm -hmm. crops. So it can kill fish. It can kill beneficial insects. It can harm other creatures in the environment. Whereas with a lot of conventional pesticides, which are those that we can synthetically alter in the laboratory, we can make them very specific, meaning they only target the pest species of interest. And so in reality, many conventional pesticides that you would use alternatively are going to be better for the crops, better for ecology in general, and also potentially better for you. So there's a variety of natural or organic pesticides that are potentially very harmful, both to humans and to the environment. And those would include things like I mentioned, copper sulfate. It's 15 times more toxic compared to commonly used synthetic alternatives. And that's a very, very commonly used one. So Mona, if I could just jump in with one thing. I mean, you used a really important term when you sort of set the stage for this, and that's marketing. And I think that Mm -hmm. the word organic, you know, we don't ever fault people for, you know, falling prey to this idea that organic is better, right? Because there's this, Mm -hmm. it's been put in our minds, there's this appeal Shove down, down your throats. throats. I yeah. mean, constantly that organic is superior, right? And there's this appeal to nature. And we're dealing with that constantly. And Andrea was just talking about it, that there's this idea that if something is either manufactured in a lab or altered some way in a lab, yeah. that it's inherently, you know, it's it's worse than if we were to get it from nature. And that's absolutely not the truth. In fact, science has allowed us to, as Andrea said, take seeds from nature and then improve upon them. And actually, in many ways, doing things in a lab helps us preserve nature. You know, we don't have to destroy nature. So I just wanted to say that. And also, organic foods obviously come with a much higher price tag. You know, we'll go to the grocery Mm -hmm. store. Andrea and I always say, we never, ever buy organic unless the produce that's in front of us happens to look better than the conventional alternative. But there's this idea, it's really, it's coming from a place of elitism. You know, a lot of people can't afford a $2 apple or, you know, or whatever it is. So there's this element of like shaming. Sorry. Yeah. So (laughs) I, no, no, I was just going to add, you know, and a lot of the misconception about the pesticide residue is based on that dirty dozen report, Mm. right? So the EWG releases this very scary report for consumers every year. And it suggests that, you know, these are the 12 most contaminated food products that are conventional and therefore you must buy organic. But what they don't mention is that all of the data that they're using is from the USDA and the USDA and the EPA regulate synthetic pesticides for toxicity and safe levels being applied to crops. But organic pesticides are not regulated at all. So it's the Wild West with organic pesticides. And as a result, they're not included in those residue reports because they're not monitored for safety and toxicity. And so, you know, they obviously ignore that or omit that. Again, it propagates this fear of chemicals in and of themselves and also that just this patent misinformation that, you know, organic produce is pesticide free, which is which is we just don't shut up. Well, I think that was I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I think I think that's a number. I love it. But I think that one of your things about organic food that will surprise you is the dirty dozen and how it is a fear based marketing scheme. If you want to elaborate on that further, because I do believe yeah. I remember when I on my account had first shared about the EWG and their background, people were like, that's not true. Like um, a lot of it had to do with sunscreens, not necessarily foods. Yes. Um, and then the Dirty Dozen. So yes. maybe kind of diving in a little bit to the Dirty Dozen. What is misinformed about that? Yeah. 
Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Yeah, I would love to. So as I mentioned, the EWG or the Environmental Working Group is an activist group, and it's all purported to be, you know, environmentally conscious, and it touts that it's making consumers' lives healthier and safer. And so it has lists for sunscreens and foods and all sorts of that. They have their feet in a lot of different markets, but ultimately, very broadly, they are funded by people that have ulterior motives. You know, there are potential conflicts of interest. And in the context of organic food, they release this Dirty Dozen list and they claim that it lists the 12 produce items with the highest number of pesticide residues that you should avoid and buy organic and it's not safe and all of this. And so it's important to note that EWG is funded by very large donations from large organic farms like Earthbound and Stonyfield and Applegate. And very broadly from the scientific community at large, EWG routinely misinterprets toxicological risks. They overstate potential health harms, and they also cherry pick studies that have poor scientific methodology. Well, and Mona, we just did an episode on preclinical research using animals. And a lot of the times EWG will rely on those preclinical animal studies that are yeah. you know, at extremely high doses of a particular pesticide or chemical or whatever it is in a rat. For, so, yeah. so you're dealing with a dose that just does not represent what we would consume unless we're consuming like 
50,000 apples in one sitting. And also, you know, while preclinical research has its value, and we did a deep dive on that in a recent episode, you can't just immediately take what happens in a rat and assume that's Mm going to happen in a human. And so unfortunately, they'll, as Andrea just said, they'll cherry pick those studies, they'll use those studies, and then extrapolate them and say, well, look, it caused cancer in rats. Well, the dosage was completely misrepresentative, and you're looking at a rat and not a human. So yeah. And they also, they use these studies where they talk about like the levels of residues, conventional residues found on produce items. And as I mentioned already, it doesn't include organic pesticide residues because those actually aren't monitored by the EPA. So those data aren't available. So what they do is they basically, you know, all pesticides, they ignore all of the organic pesticides. And then they're like, oh, well, look at all these conventional pesticide residues. But the way that they report it is not based on the actual levels of pesticide residues, which are tested and regulated and monitored and all of them on the produce items that you're getting are more than safe to consume. But the way they do it is they say, oh, well, we found 10 different pesticide residues on this apple. Each of them were 1,000 times lower than the tolerance limit set. But therefore, because there was 10 of them, it's dirty. Whereas if they found one pesticide residue, which was 100 times lower than the tolerance, it's 100-fold higher level, but there's only one of them, that one's going to be ranked as clean. So it's just a completely flawed method. And what it does is it scares consumers. It basically scares them away from consuming more produce broadly, especially if they can't afford the organic alternatives. And it's even worse for parents because now they're like, oh my God, I can't feed my kid a strawberry because now I'm doing something bad to them because the EWG told me that this is harmful. So it's all fear-based. There's no science behind their rankings or their methods. And in reality, any produce you get at the grocery store is going to be nutritious and safe and we should all just eat more produce. Yeah. And I love that you went through that because I feel like, like I said, I get this so much and there's so many like fear-based messages that I get like, Hey, I heard this, like not related to this topic, but a mom had messaged me the other day that she went to a virtual conference and someone was talking about lead and lead in Pyrex Mm. measuring cups. And I'm like, are you serious? Like she said that the lines in Pyrex measuring cups can lead to lead exposure. I'm like, does that person see children with high lead? Like I can tell you as a clinician, (laughs) what is leading to high lead exposure? It is the poor children in Flint, Michigan, drinking lead in their water. It is the peeling paint. It's not the measuring cup that you're using to measure a waffle mix. Like this kind of stuff is so important for us to go over because of the fear, like you said. And I know your audience is broad, not just parents, but I wanted to bring you on because it is very stressful when you're already trying to get your kid to eat something. We know this, right? right? My son loves fruit. I don't even know what the dirty dozen are because I understand that that's obviously the method behind it, but I have no problem giving my son or myself pregnant fruit from my regular grocery store. That's not organic. And going back to what you had mentioned, both of you don't particularly buy organic. Same with us. Like I have noticed also just from personal experience, when my husband goes to a place that has organic fruit, it goes bad way faster in our home in Florida. (laughs) I literally, I'm like, where did you go grocery shopping? I'm like, did you go to our regular grocery store? Did you go to Whole Foods? And he's like, I went to our regular grocery store. I'm like, "Mm -mm, this isn't my regular fruit. Something's different about it. 
I'm like, this is going bad. The bananas are going bad really fast and something's up. Like, and I'm like, can you please stop getting the produce from Whole Foods? Like, I need you to just get it from the regular grocery store because something's up, whether it's how they transport it, the organic nature of it. I don't know, but it's going bad so fast. And it's actually really interesting because it's going to vary, you know, produce item by produce item. But there are certain conventional produce items that have been genetically modified. And again, that's a whole other thing where GMOs are not the same as organic, but they often go hand in hand um, because they're not permitted to be used in organic farming. But certain genetic modifications actually can extend the shelf life of produce items so they can have a longer shelf life and that leads to lower food waste and, you know, reduced rates of spoilage. But on top of that, some of the organic pesticides used or um, bactericides are not as effective. And so they can, you know, lead to things being in or on the fruits that can accelerate spoilage and and other sorts of things. So the second thing, if we're going, I know we had a list and I think we've sort well, of, I think oh yeah. we, we've done two. Oh, we've, we've done, done two. two. Okay. Organic, yeah. organic farming yeah. and then the dirty yeah, dozen. Dirt, oh, dirt dirt dozen. Dirt. We yeah. skipped. So yeah, what's the next one? Well, yeah. I think a good next one to talk about is the nutritional value yeah. of organics. You know, there's this idea that they're better for you and for your children. And that's just absolutely not true. There have been countless studies that have compared the nutritional value. There's absolutely no difference. And I think as Andrea said, this is really doing a disservice to Americans who are not getting enough produce in our diets and who then turn to things like vitamins and supplements when all we need to be doing <laughs> is eating more, you know, fruits and veggies in our diet. Yeah. And so it's scaring people away from this conventional produce. And again, as I said, you know, I think I just really, you know, coming from a public health perspective, it really bothers me because there are people who can't afford organic produce and they're feeling this guilt and shame because they can't afford for this more expensive alternative, which is being touted as superior when it is not, certainly not nutritionally superior in any way. Oh, and the shame. Yeah, exactly. There's exactly. so much and shame. Like, you, yes, the like shame. Facebook groups, the shame. like, oh, I got this. You're, you're giving your kid a non-organic blueberry? Like, I would right. never do that. But you do you. I'm like, that is it's, a backhanded insult. So, yeah, yes. don't say you do you. And don't say I would never do that, but you do you. That's like the ultimate F you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, as just mentioned, it's shaming mm-hmm. and also elitism because we yeah. know that organic produce is on average at least 50% more expensive. And in reality, again, it's not more nutritious. It's not more nutrient dense. Numerous meta-analyses and studies have assessed that. And we hear a lot, well, you know, organic farms are smaller and so they're crop cycling more often and they're not depleting the nutrients in the soil. And that's just not true either. The organic farms that are serving your large-scale grocery stores are doing the same type of agricultural practices as large conventional farms. They're using the soil and the same sort of methodologies. And in many ways, they operate just like factory farms. And so, and I know we're talking about produce Mm -hmm. here, but the same is true for organic animal products, um, where we're talking about eggs or dairy or meat or things like that. And I think we're going to touch on a kind of a related topic there when we talk about um, another myth about organic. But yeah, if you're choosing organic for, I don't know, a a specific reason, don't do it because of the perception that it's healthier or more nutritious because that's simply not the case. Like you said, you may like it just because you like the way that fruit looks in the store. Like it looks fresh. The strawberries look more red like that. I go by that stuff. It sounds not evident, but it's like, hey, this looks better to me. And if it's organic, 
I'm grateful that I can afford the extra 80 cents or a dollar to be able to afford that. But like you said, the stigma, and I I work in a very diverse socioeconomic practice. Like I have super wealthy multimillionaire children. And then I have families who are like trying to make ends meet on food stamps, like figuring out what to do. And like you said, Jess, the goal is that I want just people to eat natural, like fruits and vegetables, which is stuff from the earth. It doesn't mean it has to be organic, but when you start to say, well, no, 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 what you get from the earth matters. You have to get this one versus this one. Oh my gosh. Like it's so stressful to meal plan as it is. So I love these three already. These are so important. And maybe related to that, just very mm-hmm. quickly, there's also this you know, misconception that it has to be fresh produce, and that's also yes, not frozen, true. Frozen yeah. produce and canned even, you know, they're nutritious and accessible. And for many people who maybe can't get to the grocery store as frequently, it's a great way to keep on hand great sources of nutrients, fiber, and all sorts of stuff. So can I tell you something? I feel like this all like, again, going back to what I said to you all at the beginning that I'm so like, happy that you do the work that you do. When I got on social media was when I realized how bad this all was. Like I was living a very peaceful, non misinformed (laughs) life before I started my account. And then I got on social and I'm like, I told my husband, I'm like, my mental health definitely is affected by being a creator because I hear all this information. And I'm like, where are you getting this from? And number two, I'm so sorry that you're consuming this because you're probably sit, like up at 1am when you should be sleeping, trying to figure out, okay, well, I can't afford this. Or I can't do this. And it's so, so stressful. And, you know, we all just need some kumbaya of like yeah. trying to figure out how to get this energy out of our space because it's harming people for sure. It is harming people, especially yeah. when you have yeah. people at, a, you know, I'm naming names. I'm sorry, but like Gwyneth Paltrow with Goop and Kourtney Kardashian with yeah. Koosh, like the, you know, especially young people are really, they worship <laughs> these people yeah. who have no medical or scientific expertise and sit, you know, they're putting out in the world that organic is, you know, the, the only way and you have to have non-GMO and all these other topics that we've talked about and that maybe we'll get into another time, Moda. But, you know, it's just unbelievably frustrating for us because we're like shouting the science from the rooftops. Yeah. But our content isn't as sexy as their content, I guess. I so it's like say, we're fighting I'm an like, uphill battle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jess, we're not as sexy as the, the controversial hey. the culture of comments. I know. Hey. I mean, look at us, right? Like, yeah, it's so true. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Have you heard about the terrible twos or three-nagers? Yes, the toddler years can be tough. There is no denying that any phase of parenting can be really hard. There may be picky eating, tantrums, and struggles with potty training. But there is a lot of amazing things that you will see your toddler do during these years. 
I want you to enter the toddler years understanding toddler development and behavior so you can better approach tricky situations with your child. With resources on picky eating, potty training, tantrums, and other common toddler behavior like sleep refusal and toddler development, the toddler resources here at Peds Doc Talk aim to provide you with the knowledge you need to, dare I say, find some or a lot of enjoyment in the toddler years. For more on my on-demand courses, make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and check out resources for whatever you need. Have a friend? It also makes a perfect gift. Visit pedsdoctalk.com and click courses for more. Yeah, well, these are great three. And I think this other segue is about, let's go to that, about the livestock that you mentioned about necessary. Yeah, yes. we can do that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So actually, I wanted to maybe quickly talk about the bacterial contamination because oh, yeah, it is related to the livestock mm-hmm. too. So you want your food supply to be safe. Yeah. You want to reduce your risk of foodborne illness. One of the regulations related to raising organic animal products is that the animals cannot be treated with antibiotics. And what that means is that if they have an infection or if there is any sort of contamination, they potentially have higher levels of bacterial contamination. And so when we're talking about foodborne illness, we're looking at a few different ways. So meat and animal products can get contaminated from handling practices. They can get contaminated. Fruits and vegetables can get contaminated from handling or eating. And then, of course, you can get contamination when like animal waste gets into things and water supply and other food supply and so on and so forth. So in the context of organic or conventional agriculture, there's a growing trend towards, you know, looking for organic animal products or products that are raised with antibiotics. Now, certainly we want to reduce the overuse of antibiotics, but there's a very real reason that we use antibiotics with poultry and livestock. And this is ultimately like to prevent illness, you know, spreading amongst animals. Um, Right now, obviously, we're seeing a huge outbreak of avian influenza. It also helps to treat infections. So for example, in dairy cows, they can develop mastitis, which is an infection inflammation of the And it also ultimately reduces the spread of illness. Antibiotics also allow animals to grow about 5% more than those who have not had antibiotic treatment, and it does extend life expectancy. It also extends the shelf life of animal products like eggs and dairy because it reduces the amount of baseline bacteria in those samples, and it reduces the rate of potential spoilage. So if you're buying organic milk versus conventional milk, you're going to find if you keep them on the shelf in the same conditions for the same period of time, the organic milk will spoil faster because it has higher levels of baseline bacteria, just as a function Mm. of the fact that those organic cows are not treated with antibiotics. And having antibiotics is not taking away nutritional value of these products. Absolutely. Yeah, like we talked about. Yeah. Yes. And agricultural veterinarians Mm -hmm. are very good at what they do. This is all regulated by the USDA, the CDC, the FDA. There is actually also no evidence that antibiotics in animals used in agriculture harm people. It actually shows that the antibiotic residues that may be present in those animal products are well below the levels of anything that would impact humans. So you're not actually consuming antibiotics in those animal products anyway. But they've actually found that when you look at studies, when you're looking at potential foodborne pathogens like salmonella, campylobacter, E. coli, if you look at organic versus conventional, you're seeing higher levels of these types of bacteria in the organic animal products. So we're talking about things like um, chicken, beef, turkey, Mm -hmm. and pork. 
higher levels of those types of bacteria that can lead to foodborne illness in organic products versus the conventional products. Very good to know. And I love that you clarified that because yes, people are always looking for those things based on what they're hearing online. Jess, did you have anything to add or going to about the livestock? No, I was going to go to the livestock actually. Yeah. Because, you know, Andrea and I are major animal lovers ourselves. And, you know, we definitely can understand if people are concerned about the welfare of of animals and also, you know, the environment. And I think there's this idea that organic is better for the environment. And that's not based on reality. That's not the truth. Andrea, did you want to jump in with this? Any specifics there or... Yeah. So when we're talking about like environment at large, because some of these organic pesticides in particular are more broad spectrum, so to speak, they're actually going to kill off other potentially beneficial organisms. So there's a couple of anti-aphid treatments and they actually kill ladybird beetles, things that actually would naturally kill aphids. And so not only are you not as effective at killing aphids, you're also killing their natural predator. Mm -hmm. So you're, it's like a one, two hit with an ecological impact. And so, in reality, you know, they're not necessarily better for the environment. They're large scale, you know, farming practices, just like you would see in conventional agriculture. And there's a very distinct difference between organic farming and small scale or local farming. And that's, you know, a whole different topic of conversation. And, you know, but when we talk about animal welfare, yeah, people do want sustainably sourced and we want to make sure that the animals are being treated humanely. And there's a lot of those like videos circulated by PETA that like, you know, they're very fear mongery and stuff like that. But in reality, large scale organic farms operate very, very similarly to large scale conventional farms. So they're not necessarily treating animals more humanely. And because they're not given things like antibiotics when they're sick or and many of them are not given things like salmonella vaccinations Mm. can be given to chickens to reduce the rates of salmonella outbreaks. They're often like not as healthy, there's spread of outbreaks and things like that. So if you're really concerned with things like animal welfare, you want to look for things like free range or looking for a local farm that you can verify that the animals have land to graze on and they have access to the outdoors, but it has nothing to do with whether it's organic And and I was just going to say that one thing, if if that's okay, Mona. So anytime we say this, people yell at us that we're hurting local farmers. And so to Andrea, just want to echo again what Andrea just just said, we both, whenever possible, buy from local farms or, you know, Mm -hmm. grass fed, free range. I mean, we're looking for those things. But again, that has nothing to do with the organic label. We're talking about two different things. And I think they often get conflated. Yeah. Talking about marketing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's marketing. And also because there's less regulation on kind of the standards for, you know, certain types of organic certified producers, people assume that organic farms have exposure to fresh air and vegetation and more space. But in reality, the USDA organic certification doesn't have standards Mm -hmm. for any of those things, the outdoor space and the outdoor access and things like that. So we get it, you know, local and, you know, small scale local producers can be cost prohibitive for many. So if that's where you're at, don't 
necessarily try to say, okay, well, organic is going to be better for the animals, you know, and spend your money on that. Because in reality, if it's a large organic farm, it's going to be very much the same treatment. Oh, this was so good. And without antibiotics, without antibiotics. (laughs) I really love this conversation. Like I said, I, I knew a lot of this stuff, but once I started being on social media, I have that love hate relationship where the hate is all the misinformation, but the love is people like you and accounts like yours that really try to take the information and say, whoa, 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 let's take a step back and let's clarify these audacious conversations that are happening. So thank you. I know obviously there's so many more things about organic foods that you can go over and you all probably even have a podcast episode about this already, right? Oh, yes. We have to. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So tell us what would be a final message for everyone listening today about this conversation? Well, I think for me, you know, the biggest thing is that this idea of like superiority of organic products, whether it's produce, whether it's animal products, whether it's even things like tampons, because cotton can be organic. It's a false dichotomy. It's misleading. It's potentially dangerous. There's no inherent benefit to something being natural versus synthetic. And in many ways, science and the ability to do synthetic adjustments of chemicals actually can improve the safety and improve the nutrition of our foods. And and overall, you know, just eat more produce. Exactly. Yeah. And I would just say, you know, Andrea and I are tree hugging, nature loving, animal loving people. And we're also Mm -hmm. scientists. And it's frustrating that often people see nature and non-organic things as mutually exclusive, but they are not. Um, And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, people who are in business, they know what to say to get us to fork up more money for things. And you just don't have to. Parents, I'm talking to you. I've fallen victim to this. I remember when I was pregnant, my mother-in-law started weeping when I was, uh, I made a smoothie with, you know, conventional strawberries or whatever it was. And it was, you know, that's the dirtiest, (laughs) whatever. I don't know. So, just put that at the door, you know, just have fruits, eat as much fruit and veggies as you want. And don't worry about conventional or organic. Just, yeah, save your money. <laughs> um, not only was the conversation good, but that final message was amazing as well. And where can people stay connected? I already said it at the beginning, but if you want to share website, social media channel, podcast, all of that. Yeah, definitely. So we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. It's at Unbiased Sci Pod. We also have a YouTube channel now. We are recording videos for our podcast. So you can find us there at www.youtube.com slash at Unbiased Sci Pod. And if you want to see all of the references that we include for every single post, we have a huge searchable database on our website, which is www.unbiasedscipod.com. The website is amazing all. Like I have the same thing where you can search, but there database is so good. And so if you're ever listening to something or hearing something and you're like, oh man, I just wonder where I can get a reputable explanation of this. Try their website first. (laughs) Really trust me, try their website, search it, see if it's there. You'll pull up a bunch of things. Like I did this when I was, we were trying to figure out a topic for the show and it's a huge wealth of information that they provide free, which is what they're trying to do. There's nothing, there's no ulterior motive. They're not trying to sell a non-organic farm or anything like that. They just want to, educate people and make you feel less shame. So thank you both for joining me today. 
Thank you so much. Thanks so much yeah. for having Thank us. Thank you. And for everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something. And if you were a stronghold on organic produce, like we said, you can still buy this stuff, but I want you to reduce that shame for other people. Understand that there are other choices out there and make sure you leave a review. If you found this conversation enlightening, if you love the work that Jess and Andrea are doing, because I do, it means so much for us to hear the review. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review, share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking.